Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Brothers and sisters in Christ, important show today. I kind of have a heavy heart, so I need to pray right away because we're going to talk about two different topics. Father, thank you for another day to give us uh, just an opportunity to speak the truth, to point people to Jesus Christ, the only way, the truth, and the life. And Father, to uh, hopefully use us in a way that we would glorify your name, the name of Jesus, in this earth. And God, in this country, in our perspective here, um, and most of those who are listening from the United States, Lord, show us how we can be impactful for your kingdom, for your glory. Um, show us what it means. Give us a better understanding of what it means to be salt and light in this culture, in this country, and help us to do our part. Lord, help us to not be overwhelmed or to back down from uh, what we think um, we need to do, but Lord, give us clarity, and we ask for wisdom, and we thank you that you promise to provide generously to those who ask. Lord, you are faithful. Your mercies are new every morning, and we thank you for that. You are completely sovereign and in control, and we have set you at our right hand, and we know that we will not be shaken, Lord. We have set the Lord always before us, and because you are at our right hand, we will not be moved. So strengthen us today. Help us to be overcomers of this world, but help us to always be standing on the solid rock of the foundation of your inerrant, perfect, eternal word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got uh, some information today I wanted to read for to you on what we're going to get into about Christian nationalism. Um, the left does not want you to vote. This is what I'm putting out there. The left does not want you to vote or speak up about immorality, injustice, and biblical issues. Please understand that. So they're going to use intimidation tactics, and this is one of them. They're using Christian nationalism as a term, as an accusation. You know who the accuser of the brethren is. Uh, it's a, it, this is just a label for racist, bigoted, extremists. It's a buzzword aimed at intimidating the church from standing for biblical truth in our culture, and they don't want you to share your faith outside of church walls or do anything religious, and they definitely don't want you to vote and impact elections and politics. Why? Because that would impact legislation, and uh, we know whose, whose morality is being legislated. But I want to bring in today's guest, and before we talk about that, we have to talk about something else that we touched on yesterday. Scott Lively is back with us. He's a pastor, attorney, author of many books. He's advocated and modeled the biblical worldview as a writer, speaker, attorney, pastor, human rights consultant, and missionary for more than 30 years on five continents. And let's talk about some of these important things today. Scott, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, so good to be back with you, David. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what we are going to get to in just a little bit, but not right now, um, I love Gab as an alternative on social media and I get uh, the newsletter or email, whatever it is, from Andrew Torba, and he writes a lot of inspiring and encouraging uh, emails and newsletters and information. I have not read his book. He's got a book out, Christian Nationalism, and we want, are going to talk about that and uh, why you wrote an open letter to Andrew Torba of Gab about Christian nationalism, and I thank you for doing that. We're going to ask you why, what led you to write this letter to really refute some of the ideas he puts forth. And that's why we're going to talk about this today, because the church and believers are somewhat confused, because I'm not sure these terms have been really defined. But Scott, before we get there, very important data. You were in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol January 6, 2021. You were there at the Great Insurrection, no, I, right? I, I actually was not at, uh, there on the 6th. Oh, okay. By, 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 the, by the grace of God, I was there on December 12th. Oh, okay. For the gathering of the tribes. Okay. Which was, <laughs> which was just as significant 
uh, except uh, in terms of the negative consequences for those who went. Yeah, otherwise you would have been arrested if you were there on the I 6th. I would have been. I'd be in the deepest dungeon of the <laughs> D.C. Gulag. They hate me with a, with a burning passion. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't even know if I'd be still alive. And I would have been there, too, because it's exactly the kind of thing that would have drawn me like a magnet. You know, not, re- not rebelliousness, but the, but the demand for justice. You know, I was advocating for for Donald Trump not mm. to relinquish the White House if what he was saying was true, mm. and I believed it to be true regarding the the coup. They stole the election with a coup, a, a color revolution, and and uh, and we're all suffering the consequences of that. That's what got me banned from YouTube a couple of months ago. Is I wouldn't stop, uh, you know, confessing the truth that 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 uh, that, that the election was stolen. Mm. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the attacks on this idea, I think, of Christian nationalism. They're throwing it out. They're kind of putting us all in this basket of deplorables, these Christians that actually believe the Bible is true. But before we do that, breaking news has been happening all week long regarding COVID, regarding the vaccination, the jab, the shot. And Dr. Simone Gold, who was in prison herself, just said this on Twitter yesterday. The media has gone silent on an admission by Pfizer executive that Pfizer did not know whether the COVID-19 jab stopped transmission of the disease before it went to market. The media is supposed to hold the powerful accountable, not cover for them. And it's amazing, Scott Lively, that we're at this place in American history where we're seeing communist policy enacted by this globalist government. And please just share your thoughts on what Simone Gold has been trying to stand for and the information she's trying to get out there. Oh, this is a, this is such a, an enormous topic and so significant. You know, the, the media has been completely complicit in this. They're not even just complicit. I think the corporate media in America is an extension of the deep state uh, that that uh, that a significant number of of uh, people who are are called journalists and editors and and uh, and and executives in these uh, corporate media outlets are actually agents, literally agents of the CIA or the FBI or whoever. There's the alphabet soup of all the intelligence agencies. That, by the way, it was Bill Clinton uh, who made this all possible uh, when, during his uh, term. He's the guy that allowed uh, the homosexual, the LGBTs, to get top secret security clearance for the first time ever in American history. And they, the ultimate, ultimate secret agents for their own agenda, mm-hmm. uh, because they can hide in plain sight. Nobody, there's no objective basis for, for identifying anyone who has those dysfunctions. And they just, sw- they swept in like a flood. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, the entire intelligence, uh, realm was turned on its head and became uh, uh, a servant to the globalist agenda. None mm. probably had been doing it before also, but then it went on steroids. And that's what we're facing with this. The, the, the thing that's in parallel to the Simone Gold uh, uh, aspect is the, the fact that it's now come out and been exposed that the, uh, how much the government spent to, to advance the propaganda, you know, paying off all the media. You know, they're hiring comedians to mock the unvaccinated yep, and all that. Yep. That stuff's documented. It's out there now. And that's, there's even a deeper silence on that. That's yeah, horrific. Because that's their own complicity exposed. This is horrific. And we're talking about the CDC now, who at one time said this. And I have this um, screen grab from an NBC News report. I'm looking for the date on this. I don't have it. But it says, um, it says vaccinate. This is CDC. Vaccinated individuals don't carry the virus or get sick. That's a lie. They knew. They knew it was a lie. That's, this is, right. This is, that's one of the things in terms, I don't know what people's eschatology is out there, but this is an indicator of last days to me. Yes. Yes. Exactly. This is exactly that the, the level of deception, right? Satanic deception is at a level higher than we've ever seen before. I think even in the history of the world, hmm. uh, and it's happening right now in our own generation 
and has gotten so bad that the people that are engaging in this deception are not even hiding it anymore. That's right. right? That's that they, they, they believe they can act with impunity because they hold control of all the institutions, the courts, the police, the media, the government, the, the nonprofits, and they just steamroll over anybody that disagrees with them or, just, or even throw them in jail like the J- January Sixers. Um, Scott, I think we're going to have to extend this first segment. And in segment number two and number three today, we're going to talk about Christian nationalism and why this is so important for us to understand how they're using this as a pejorative term and they are accusing believers to really use, have any voice in public discussion or debate. But the, um, information we have from, well, you can go to openvares.com, you can go to all these other places, but we know the lies that were reported in the first six months to a year, even more, of the pandemic um, that really put fear into people. And I just want to say new evidence that came out, new stats, I should say. 3.3 million individuals were impacted out of 10.1 million users on this particular database, um, which means 33% of people who were vaccinated, had at least one adverse event. Now, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Forgive me if we're being a little redundant on just this next. I just want to get these three stats out there again. 1.2 million, over 1.2 million were unable to resume normal activities. Over 1.3 million missed school or work because of the shots. And 783,000 required medical care. The conclusion by Children's Health Defense, they said this is the largest self-inflicted medical disaster in history. Scott, why is this important that we not be silent on this, even if our social media gets banned or deleted? Well, you know, that's uh, and, and something I want to even address. And, and statistics are, are valuable and all that. But, I, I, you know, I think there's an important point to be made here at the beginning of this aspect of the discussion, and that is, you know, blessed is he who's able to see the truth, the self-evident truth, and not need statistics in order to <laughs> yes. back up his position. Good right? point. Good point. You know, that is the that's the reality is that the the truth of God is revealed in creation so clearly that people have no excuse for denying Him, and the and the and the reality of truth versus falsehood that takes place right in front of our eyes should not require anyone to have to to list statistics. Uh, in order to back themselves up, because that puts you in the realm of the soft sciences, which are largely an invention of the very people we're trying to fight. Because once they drag you out into the weeds of, of this study or that study, then everything can be sort of uh, shifted into this kind of academic, you know, uh, arbitrary, you know, ambiguous territory where it comes down to the reliability of the sources and this and that. There's always an argument that can be made to trip you up. But when you're standing on the fundamental self-evident truth of the reality that's taking place right before your eyes and you refuse to be moved by it, that's who the people are that refused to take the vaccine, no matter what they did, because it didn't matter what the CDC said. It didn't matter what the what the WHO said. It didn't matter what the government said. It didn't even matter what their own doctors said, because they could see with their own eyes. Mm. And they could sense in their own spirit what the truth was, and none of that other that stuff mattered to them at all. And 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 that really sort of represents a kind of a remnant of the people who have the capacity to be able to take the country back if it's possible to do. If it's possible, and that leads us. I I don't want to go off on elections and get into that whole thing, but I read a fascinating article by Cheryl Chumley at the Washington Times the other day. And she was talking about how people are buying elections. It's called midterms for sale. Um, and she mentioned the many, the state races, particularly in the Senate, where out of state money is pouring in to buy these elections. And you're having, we have people, Scott, that contact us and, and just don't think their vote matters anymore. Um, can you speak to that issue just for a moment? Look, this is a representative democracy it's it's a republic which in in which which really is what representative democracy is it isn't one person one vote uh you know like like the ancient uh, greeks did an actuality where everybody had to show up it's representative that's a republican form of government it only works when we the people actually exercise our authority 
right? Every, all power in government is delegated power from us. And if we don't participate in the, in that process of delegation, we have nobody to blame but ourselves for the outcome. Right. Yeah. And no matter how corrupt the system gets, mm-hmm. in fact, and as a matter of fact, the more corrupt the system gets, the more necessary it is for those with clear thinking minds and a biblical foundation to be part of that delegation process and to shine the light, even if you're in a, in a, in a, in a race that's, that's already lost because of corruption, you are there to be a light, to shine on that corruption and expose it and be a witness against it, saying, I was there, I saw it, I did my part, and I, therefore I have a stake in holding those accountable who did this to us. Mm. Yes. So just let me encourage you guys. Um, our, our vote is one of the only ways we still have a voice. I mean, yes, you can call your congressman, you can call your senator's office, you can definitely get more involved at the local level. Everything from school board to sheriff. And sheriffs have a lot of power, by the way. Amen. So we need to get involved at the local letter more. I think, I think Christians have been generally given other people who are running for elections the benefit of the doubt, thinking they have the best intentions for the state, for the community, or for America. But we know now that there have been a lot of evil people with evil agendas trying to get an office to change the nation that we know as founded and that we love and loved. And so we know that now. It's a, it's not quite a little too late because God still has us here. So, Scott, uh, we have three minutes left in this segment, and I just want to go back to the open VAERS charts on um, just how, how much the the vaccine issue is. is They call us fear-mongering just for talking about this. You no, got, that, you, that, and that, that, you guys are still talking about it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's it's, this is all this is all manipulation. It's all propaganda, and uh, you know, just don't don't buy into it. Speak the plain truth without apology or equivocation, regardless of what anyone else thinks. That's one of the powers that we have in the freedom of Christ. Freedom in Christ doesn't just mean freedom from the law of sin and death. It means freedom from the expectations of men in which you can stand on the truth of things with only if only you and the Holy Spirit. Are, are, are there against an entire array of people, an entire room full of people that are against you, it doesn't matter. You stand for the truth of things and don't worry about what anybody else thinks or what they say that they say. That's how things really change because people follow leaders. They follow, and, and they don't have, doesn't mean you have to be an alpha male type leader. It means a leader is just somebody who speaks the plain truth, uh, in, in, uh, in, with, with a, a sense of authority and that, that it is the truth. Mm-hmm. And when people see that and hear it, they will follow suit. And when, when, and when there is no one doing that, then the tendency that they will simply submit to whatever the, the perceived authority is, is very high. So we have to work against that. Our job as believers everywhere always is to be salt and light mm-hmm. in, in ways beyond what we would typically think are, are, are um, being salt and light. And, but it always means speaking the plain truth. Yes. Yes, amen. And I just want to point out, if you go to VAERS, uh, 10 years ago, I believe this is a worldwide number that there were about 31,000 uh, adverse events, uh, fever, or other issues to uh, vaccines worldwide. That was around 31,000 10 years ago. So now you look at this graph, and it increases very, very s- slightly. You look at the year 2021, and it, <laughs> it jumps up to over 100,000. And you're thinking, wait a minute. If this it's was be 10 times that too, David, because this the, the, hardly anybody does it because they made it so difficult to, to file to a report. report. Yes. And by the way, VAERS even limited that. They even limited you could not report if it was a heart issue or a stroke or myocarditis. They only left a place for uh, fever or pain. And I've got that down from a report from Children's Health Defense. So anyway, the spike was dramatic. We've got to understand any other time in history, whatever product this was would have been pulled off the market. But we're in a new time, friends. It is the Antichrist spirit of the age. You know who's driving things. It is demonic. We're talking with Pastor Scott Lively, his website, scottlively.net. When we come back, the rise of the term Christian nationalism, where did it come from? And why is it being used next? 
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Christian nationalism is not Christianity. What is Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Violent Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is crying out for a reality check. Is it loving your family? Is it going to church? Is it praying for America? Is it a denomination? A policy? A political party? Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. In their minds, things that are put on earth by God to form this country into a certain kind of Christian country, whether the majority wants to or not. The rise of the term Christian nationalism. Where did it come from? And why is it being used? So I wrote an article back in June um, called Weaponizing Words, and uh, it was about Christian nationalism. And I I did that because The View was discussing, I think they were discussing the Second Amendment, and they were demonizing God, guns, and they kept on throwing in this term, Christian nationalism, and they were using the term. In fact, uh, let me quote The View co-host, Tara Setmayer. I don't know who she is, but apparently she's a regular. Uh, She says, this is part of the Christian nationalism, this rise in violent Christian nationalism that we have seen, which is so disturbing. So what she's saying is those violent Bible thumpers. So she just lumped in God, guns, religion, Trump supporters, and the audience applauded. Whoopi Goldberg chimed in. Whoopi. <laughs> she said, racist white Christians historically used the Bible to justify mistreating black Americans. So now they're saying we're not only violent, we're not only intolerant, and we want a theocracy, but now we're racist as well. Scott Lively, um, respond to this. This has been going on probably even before January 6, 2021, but now they have an event in our history to point to and to warn everybody about that they don't want Christians in the public again, right? This is really a phenomenon that, it, that arises in the modern world, um, uh, and it's the it's the the the, the contest uh, for uh, between globalists and nationalists for how our world is going to operate. And uh, this the uh, one of the best chapters that a lot of people might be familiar with uh, in your audience is going back to Woodrow Wilson and the establishing of the League of Nations and all mm-hmm. that. That was representative of the of this this conflict between two worldviews. One of them is that we are we are all in the pursuit of one global government uh, system that uh, will bring peace and harmony to the world, right? According to their perspective, and the other is the idea of national identity and national sovereignty. That we have individual we have individual countries that have boundaries, that have cultures, that have rules, and that we cooperate together as nations, uh, but we retain our separate national identity. And this conflict was, was at the root of what happened in, in Germany, too. Uh, the, the Germans, the, you know, the, 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 the Nazis, were national socialists. The national part was nationalism uh, and against what the, the, uh, the, the British were attempting to impose on the world, which was a globalist perspective. And remember that whenever the British conquered anybody, they carved them up into a whole bunch of different sections, but they maintained, they, they wanted to suck everybody into the British Empire, which was the, their uh, attempt to create a global hegemony themselves. And then that shifted to the United States. We took over from the British in terms of controlling, having this sort of hegemony over the world. The biggest globalists in the world right now are sitting in Washington, D.C., and the, and the biggest nationalists in the world are the MAGA movement who are saying, no, America first. America is distinct. Yep. America is great because of what we were founded upon as an individual separate nation among the nations of the earth. And we must preserve that national identity to preserve what it means to be an American. Mm-hmm. And so that's the root of all this. But there is some of the things that the left is saying about this are actually true. It's what Whoopi Goldberg said is the Christians have used the Bible to defend racism is absolutely true. I mean, the, well, let's, let's, actually, let's define Christians, though, Scott. Not all Christians were doing what she said 
was being no, done. No, no, not and and she didn't say all, but you know, and and they always twist everything. But it is a fact that people who were going to church that had otherwise Christian lives, they had what they had done is they had embraced a um, uh, a eugenics mentality. They they they'd accepted a kind of racial perspective of the world at that time, that period in time, and that they uh, used the fact that there is slavery in the Bible and that there is racial distinctions that are really clear, uh, especially in the Old Testament, to justify uh, what they were doing. And it doesn't mean they were right, but just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're right on, on stuff anyway. As long as, you're, as long as you hold the essentials of the faith, right? If, you, if you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, all the rest is sanctification issues. And, uh, and, and fortunately for all of us, we don't have to be right on every issue in order to be a Christian. But it means that there's all kinds of error mm-hmm. across Christendom on non-essential doctrines. And that's where we are. And that, that brings us to the whole challenge of, of, of Andrew Torba's book on Christian nationalism, which is, which is elevating a, an ancient uh, hostility toward the Jews uh, that's sort of represented in the modern world in what they call anti-Zionism, which is just really a new term for anti-Semitism, and uh, and and trying to justify it as a Christian doctrine, and 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 saying that that's the, that's the centerpiece really of Christian nationalism that we just simply are not we're not going to include anybody that would use the term Judeo-Christian because the Jews are anathema, and uh, and uh, and this country has absolutely nothing to do with any kind of uh, Jewish influence uh, in our past, and therefore they must be excluded from the, def- from, the, uh, from the definition of Christian nationalism, which is the government that they want to bring about. And I agree with most of what they want to do, but that is a, mm. it's sort of a rotten you know, spot on the apple okay. that has to be addressed. So let's talk about that. Andrew Torba is uh, the CEO of Gab. Uh, social media site, and like I said, I've, I've really appreciated a lot of his uh, newsletters and emails he puts out with the Christian um, focus and push to get people engaged who are really true Bible-believing Christians, but there is a doctrinal issue here that you rightfully pointed out. But before we do that, I want to mention that audio clip that we got. I took it from uh, Family Research Council. They had a pray-vote-stand town hall uh, called The Rise of Christian Nationalism, and it was Tony Perkins. Uh, Pastor Gary Hamrick hosted it at his church in uh, Leesburg, Virginia. And I love his preaching. I love his approach to Christians engaging in politics because it is a moral duty. It is a moral issue. but It's a moral uh, imperative. Yes, it's an imperative, friends. We're in this country, and most countries don't have this freedom, this opportunity, and this privilege that we have. But I want to backtrack before we get to your open letter to Andrew Torba. Um, the Biden campaign, when he was running against Trump, he was already, they, Biden's handlers, the left, the globalists, the Democrat socialists, were already trying to divide people. They had a campaign, by the way, the, the uh, Build Back Better slogan, which is the World Economic Forum uh, right. globalist slogan. But they had another slogan that most people didn't catch. And I wrote about this early in my book, Canceling Christianity. Biden campaign had this on their website, Battle for the Soul of the Nation. And if you're a Christian, those words appeal to you because you go, wow, yeah. yeah, Joe Biden, wow, is he coming to Christ? Has he come to the Lord? Has he had his, you know, moment? But you're thinking, no, he's using this. If you know their history, you know how they use words, know how they like to draw in people by using a word God or the word blessed or whatever. Even Pelosi has been using lingo. Sure. but. They try to do this to divide people. They associate Christians and conservatives in America with, at that time, think about 2016, cultural chaos, division, hate, dominionism, religion, anything currently frowned upon in a woke society. They were saying, that's all Trump. So Trump is the darkness, and even Biden was using the language, we're going to bring light and healing to America. He was literally saying that in campaign speeches. I don't think many people caught it. But now let's go to this issue of, so we know what the left is going to do. We know what they're going to try to do to divide us. But now we've got to talk about doctrine. Uh, Scott, you read part of the book or most of the book by Andrew Torba? I, I read I read part of the book. Okay. Um, 
and uh, it's and and it was. I mean, this is an issue. I do a lot of debating online with people that are coming from this anti-Zionist perspective because my church. I, I have first-century Bible church. <laughs> I, I study the scripture from the Hebrew cultural perspective of the, of the apostles and the prophets. I'm not Messianic Jewish, right? But I, but I respect the Messianic Jews. I actually think Messianic Judaism is the religion of the, the, the millennial kingdom. And I think we are sort of on the cusp of that, and that's why it's emerging. I think it's a fulfillment of, uh, in, at least in, in part, of Malachi chapter 4, right? The turning of the fathers, the, the hearts of the children to the fathers, fathers to the children, mm. the, the, the Elijah that will pre- prepare the way. I think that it represents that. But I also think that uh, traditional Christianity has had a place, significant place, and, it's, and, and that Messianic Judaism isn't necessarily the religion of the Bride of Christ. And that, uh, so, I, so I debate with, the, with anti-Zionists who are essentially repeating ancient, uh, um, you know, Jew-hating uh, talking points that go all the way back to the second century mm. and, and on, especially the fourth century when Constantine came along, and that the, um, the, the, the heart of it, really, theologically speaking, is what's called supersessionism. And Torba talks about this and defends it. Supersessionism is the idea that's, that's, that's very uh, much accepted across a lot of Christendom that the Christian Church replaces Israel in the Bible. It's the premise of Roman Catholicism, and it's the premise of a lot of Protestantism because it's grounded in Roman Catholicism, and those and that doctrine was never challenged by the Protestant Reformers. Mm. Um, and, and so um, what it means is that the Jews have no place in the world because Christians took their place, and everything God promised to them belongs to us, and there's nothing left for them because they're cursed. And there is a, something called punitive supersessionism, which is where, um, where because they're Christ killers and because they have no place in this world and we have everything that's supposed to belong there that they thought would belong to them, therefore we're supposed to punish them for, for what they did and for their continuing refusal to embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that that has been going on through the entire age of the Gentiles, in waves of, of uh, intense persecution, pogroms, murders of massive numbers of people, blood libel, where they say that the Jews killed Christian children to drink their blood, and all these kinds of things to stoke hostility and hatred against them. And all that has taken a new form in the modern world into what's called anti-Zionism, mm-hmm. which ostensibly opposes the nation of Israel, and it's some of the corrupt policies, which are just a carbon copy of America's. Uh, and uh, and they, so they sort of have coalesced, and both the left and the right have coalesced around this anti-Zionist theme. Hmm. Berkeley, remember you see in Berkeley the story about how Jews are not allowed yes. on parts of the campus now? Unbelievable. That's the left, yep. the leftist anti-Zionists, and the ones on the right, Chuck Baldwin's and some of these other people, they're now sort of united on this theme of Jew hatred, and Torba has somehow gotten sucked into this. Hmm. Well, I want to uh, commend you for how you opened up this lengthy letter to Andrew Torba. Um, you did it respectfully, but I know you to be a straight talker, brother. You just dive right in, and, and you're very direct, and I thank you for that. I just want to read uh, one paragraph here. You said, at the outset, I want to commend you for your courage and vision in taking on the powers and principalities of the present age by working to break the chains of censorship and suppression of free speech, particularly of the biblically informed views that so powerfully contradict the secular humanist dogma of our Marxist would-be masters. They are the true enemies of, quote, Judeo-Christian civilization. And, of course, I choose that phrase intentionally to respectfully contradict your well-intentioned but misguided representation of its meaning and purpose relative to our national identity and heritage, end quote. And I think, Scott, you really just described that and went back to explaining why it's important. Um, so would you like to continue, uh, comment on that, or just continue? No, well, I, I, I do respect Andrew Torba. I think he's an enormously courageous man in, the, in his vision of a Christian economy, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and pressing forward this is, is highly commendable. 
and it's just that there is this corner that it's it's completely gratuitous. There's nothing about talking about Christian nationalism that requires anybody to come out against the the term Judeo-Christian, and that's really it. Sort of the, the Judeo-Christian um, and is the campaign against it is sort of a dog whistle. You know, like, you know, the left was always talking about you know Trump's dog whistles and all that, but that's a it's a it's a it's a, a perfectly legitimate metaphor. And in, and applies in this case that the, the campaign against the term Judeo-Christian is kind of a dog whistle for Jew haters. And it draws them all together and then they, and they attack, if you, uh, it, it increasingly, increasingly, per, people who say Judeo-Christian and that they do so in a, in a comment, in a, a news story or any, any, any place where there's, where there's a, a, the ability for the anti-Zionists to engage them, they will then attack that idea of Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. as if, as if connecting Judea to, to Christian taints it so horribly yes. that we can never be allowed. Well, there's, a, there's an implicit mm-hmm. um, bias in there that, uh, that is not warranted. But anyway, you were, you were going to say something. Yeah, two minutes left in this segment. Uh, he, he begins chapter four saying, this is not a Judeo-Christian movement. Uh, apparently asserting that Christianity and Judaism are distinct or incompatible. Uh, is that how you worded it to him? Yes, is that, and that, that's what, that's her, their perspective. But you know, these guys do not know their history, right? Mm. We would not have a United States of America if it hadn't been the, for the Hebraic movement in the 15th, or the, excuse me, the 16th and 17th centuries, the 1500s and the 1600s. There would be no constitution. There would be no constitutionalism. There would be no form of republican government. We would still all be under the tyranny of the Roman Catholic uh, Church and its hierarchy, or some variation thereof, like the Anglican Church, uh, because it was, it, was the, it was the cooperation of the Protestants and the Jews that brought about the the, the, the political mindset that defines America mm. at, at the time of the founding. Interesting. We're going to get into that a little bit more and continue on some of the things you wrote to Andrew Torba. And this is important. And uh, he is welcome, by the way, on this podcast anytime. I admire what he does. I, I love Gab. And it's, it's great that there is another uh, place for people to go and not be censored. But Scott Lively is our guest. The website, again, scottlively.net. We'll talk more about Christian nationalism, how the left is using it as a battering ram, really, against the church when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Pastor Scott Lively is our guest today. We're getting his perspective on Christian nationalism, and he wrote an open letter to Gab's Andrew Torba, which is what we're talking about now. And before I get back to the letter, I want to remind you how the left is using this. It's an information campaign designed to synchronize with January 6th narratives. And most of you that have been listening to this podcast know what that is. Blaming, quote, Christian nationalists for the actions of a very small uh, subset of radicals. And in let's go back to your letter now, Scott. You quoted Zechariah. 12 verse 10, which says, I will pour out on the house of David and on all the people of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer, and they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. End quote. Zechariah twelve ten. Why did you include that in your letter to Torba? Well, because that is the perspective, that, that is the promise of Romans chapter 11. Romans 11 is the treatise that Paul lays out to, to, to tell Christians how to deal with the Jews. And, uh, and that it's, it's very clear. You have to take an act, a, a position of humility, uh, that it's we are the ones who are grafted into the olive tree, mm, right? We're the yes. wild branches who are grafted in, you know, it says, therefore, do not boast um, now, Interesting. now, Torba and and like I, and like I said, I want to reiterate. I very much respect his courage, and and I consider myself a Christian nationalist uh, in the in the mold of the founding fathers. The, the founding fathers were Christian nationalists, unquestionably. 
but they had a perspective about the Jews, and they had a perspective about the inclusiveness of those who hold a theistic versus a deistic position. Yes, and good and, point. Uh, that was what that the, the genius of the founding fathers was that they overcame the tendency of establishing sectarian um, uh, uh, state religions, right? This state being Baptist, this state being Quaker, this state being this and that and the other, this state being Church of England. They overcame that by um, and it, by, by something that's represented in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting a religion, right, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That was their genius. They didn't do what Andrew Torba is trying to get modern Christian nationalists to do, which is to kind of take this uh, this sectarian mindset, because what his perspective of Christianity is, is a small corner of Christendom. They're perfectly within their rights to hold these things as doctrines. That's part of the freedom that we have and the liberty in Christ. But if you're justified in Christ, all those are just sanctification issues and you have the liberty to be wrong. You have the liberty to, to follow the law like the Messianic Jews do. You have the liberty to follow Roman Catholicism even if you choose to and without losing uh, heaven because justification, justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. That's it, bottom line. But, but you cannot then take, say that your corner of Christendom must be must be the dogma of it must be imposed on all the rest of Christendom, and the founders knew that. Mm, and so, yes. when they established the Constitution, and they and, and as the as sort of the final word on how we're going to be defined as a nation, it was not it was not sectarian at all. In fact, it's represented in the motto that comes along later: "In God We Trust." Mm. And that so so basically, people who who embrace the, the God of the Bible are part of the family, or at least monotheism. Right. Well, not even not no, because there there are non-biblical monotheists out there. What you see in Jefferson's memorial and remonstrance. Okay. Yep. Where where he where he articulates a lot of this. Okay. He sort of in court. He sort sort of gives a nod even to the Mohammedans, right, the Muslims, because they technically are believe in the same. God of the Bible, you know, and once again, we're not talking about, see, the culture of America was designed to be Christian, but there was a tolerance in terms of the sort of the ideology of America was was broader, and that's why as the, as, as the Supreme Court cases dealing with these issues uh, happened over the decades, what they sort of settled on at the end was the, was the respect for the supreme being mm. without getting into Christian sectarianism or saying that people who didn't believe in Christ are not Americans. That's right. They didn't go that far. And that was what made our country possible. That doesn't mean that we abandon the biblical um, uh, values mm-hmm. that, were, that were established by the founders and built into the infrastructure of America, but it did mean that we would not require people to take an oath of office that said they believed in Jesus Christ. So can we emphasize the fact that there's absolutely nothing wrong if you are a, quote, nationalist or believe in nationalism, because basically all that is, and this is for any country in the world, it's a sense of loyalty and commitment to your country, um, the, uh, an appreciation for your culture, the language, traditions, music, history, that's Absolutely okay, but yeah. draw the line if it goes into idolatry. Then you draw the line if you're bowing to something, a dictator or something, whatever that might be. I think of, you know, Hitler and what he did. But let's get back to an important point, Scott, before we run out of time. You mentioned that you differ with Andrew Torba on supersessionism, which is that the same thing as replacement theology? Yes, that's replacement theology. And it holds that the church replaced Israel in all aspects, in every respect, in, in all parts, all ways, hmm. and that therefore there's no place left for the Jews. Now, if I'm a Bible literalist, there's an awful lot of Christians who say they're Bible literalists and they really aren't. There's two doctrines that really sort of um, showcase the people who say they are and they aren't, and one of them is the Two House Covenant, which most people have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I did a piece on this. Go to scottlively.net 
and look at the article titled The Reconciliation of Christians and Jews that mm-hmm. I just did. Um, that explains that. And then the second is millennialism, the idea that there's going to be an actual thousand-year millennial kingdom in which Jesus actually rules from a physical planet Earth on the throne of David in Jerusalem, right? That's Bible literalism. And that if you and and the the spiritualization of that, uh, turning it into you know you know saying it's just symbolism and all that, that's what the Roman Catholics did. It's called amillennialism, and then from that came the postmillennialists. Postmillennialists are sort of they they really act like amillennialists that there is no millennium, but they say that they are postmillennialists, meaning that all the things that God or that that Jesus said were going to happen in the Olivet Discourse. Were fulfilled when you see Jerusalem surrounded by your enemies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they say, "Well, all that already happened, and so the millennium is done." Wow! Well, if that were true, <laughs> if that were true, no one ever brings up this point. Then the next thousand years would be the proof of the pudding, right? Right? Because the, right. it's a millennial kingdom; it's a thousand year long, and at the end of the thousand years is the great white throne judgment and all that. So, if you don't see the the, the next thousand years after uh, the resurrection and ascension of Christ, looking like the millennial kingdom, then your whole argument is destroyed. And and that was the case. And as a matter of fact, going back to biblical history, Mm -hmm. uh, post-Bible Christian history, at the end of that, you know, uh, see, the the temple was destroyed in 870. You count a thousand years to a thousand seventy. There was a massive, massive worldwide evangelistic campaign because they believed that the millennium was coming to a close and that Christ was coming back, and uh, and they and and that's that's when King Stephen of Hungary, right, converted to Christ and made his whole nation convert to Christ, hmm. and that's when they they went out all over the world. Iceland still has churches that were built, at, 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 you know, in that same time frame. That are still functioning. They're tourist attractions now, and these big panels uh, that, that that explain the evangelistic outreach that was being done at that time in the world, without linking it to the millennium. Mm. And uh, and then there was another millennial period. Uh, that's where both the, where the Catholics, the Protestants, and the Jews uh, came together in a in a in a unity that's never been seen since. Because they believed that Christ was coming back, well, for the first time, he was coming for the Jews. He was coming back the second time for the Christians um, in the year 1665-66. Hmm. And it was such a huge thing that they, that they, that they unified together in this incredible way. It's just sort of like the heart of the Hebraic movement, uh, when all these ideas that we think of as, as, as Americanism today all really you know, sprang out of that. And, uh, and, and they were all sort of together prepared for that. And then, of course, when it didn't happen, then there was a lot of blame placing and finger pointing and, and, all, and, and there was this kind of a split and they all went their separate ways and never to, suit, to be, you know, to harmonize like that again for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but anyway, this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of history that's missing, yeah. historical perspective that's missing by the anti-Zionists. Okay. I want to go back to one more thing, um, Scott. We've got um, five minutes left. And, man, it goes by fast, doesn't it? Um, th- th- you mentioned that he put on page 61 something about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. But one thing, another point to bring out is there's no mention of the Antichrist taking up his seat in the temple, and I think in Second Thessalonians and in Revelation, and that's missing, isn't it? Well, I, I think that, that that actually element might actually be uh, ful- fulfilled. I mean, from their perspective, I don't think it's fulfilled. I actually think all three of the mentions of the Antichrist or the desolation of Jerusalem in Daniel, all three of them took place, but they're just simply iterations of a pattern that repeats another time at the end. Right? That's an unusual perspective. Interesting. Uh, I, I defend it in The Prodigal Son Prophecy, which mm-hmm. you can read for free at scottlively.net. Um, but there was, uh, I think Titus, who was a general at that time, later became the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. may have put a bust of himself on the altar at that time, which would qualify, because that's exactly what it's believed that Antiochus Epiphanes did uh, at the time of the Maccabees uh, in Daniel 11. Uh, that it's believed that that's what he did, too, is put a bust of himself. His name actually means, and the, the, the Epiphanes part means... Uh, 
the God who is who is with you, or the or the, the manifest God before huh. you. Um, but uh, didn't he but, sacrifice but, pigs on the altar? In, yeah, yeah, he did. did. Yeah. He did. Antiochus for Epiphanes did that. Uh, and uh, but like I said, the three iterations of the desolation of Jerusalem, I believe, are separate incidents. And that, and that they, with some common elements in each one. Okay. But, but without a requirement for all the elements to be together in the last iteration, which we're still waiting for, Amen. probably not too far off. Yeah, it just seems that way. Oh, my goodness. Um, so in a couple minutes left here, Scott, um, I, I appreciate your letter. I, by the way, when did you send it? And I'm, I'm assuming Andrew Tober has not responded, right? Yeah, I sent about a month ago. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I didn't get any response. I didn't in, expect to. Yeah. And but uh, but I you know it's it's likely that he's read it and hopefully he's he's reconsidering uh, that position because really this is I think this is another sign of the end uh, that uh, that the see that the devil hates the Jews as much as he hates the Christians, right? And there have been among the Jews there are wheat and tares just like there are among Christians. And that uh, what what the Jews were chosen for, in fact, that we need to say Hebrews, because Jews is actually a nickname for Judean, and that and the and the two house covenant uh, proves that the that the promises of God that were given to Abraham were actually split into two houses, the house of Rachel and the house of Leah, uh, because Jacob married two wives, and it's always been that way ever since, and that is a central theme of 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 the of the prophecies. That the two houses will be reunited in the millennial kingdom, hmm. and that God only divorced the house of Israel, never divorced the house of Judah. Interesting. And uh, so all these elements are some are you know people need to investigate this for themselves because it's important. But the devil hates the Jews as much as he hates the Christians, and which is why he does everything he can to sort of lure him into his clutches. That's why there is such a thing as the, as the synagogue of Satan, hmm. because they are, yep. they, these are people who are targeted d- deliberately because they were chosen. The Hebrews were chosen by God to establish a new foundation of civilization from the seed of Abraham, and that, uh, and that seed of Abraham includes Christ, who, will bring, who brings everyone who accepts his sacrifice on the cross becomes part of the bride of Christ, uh, and, and the promises are all the Abrahamic promises are eternal, and some of them have been fulfilled. Hmm. And that, and that, and the, the the devil hates the house of Judah, and he hates uh, as much as he hates the house of Israel and Christianity. Amen. And that is a, and that is something to never forget. We are the two witnesses of the truth of God in the world. And, that, and even though the Jews are partially blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, they nevertheless still belong to God. He has a special relationship with them. They must accept Christ as their Messiah. It's unequivocal. But, and they will. And the plan for how that happens is laid out in Romans chapter 11. Praise God. Scott Lively, I will put your link to this uh, open letter to Andrew Tobra in today's StandUpForTheTruth.com blog. God bless you. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, David. God bless you. All right, friends. Remember to just don't be discouraged by labels or accusations, but live out your faith, a biblical mandate to bring truth to the world. Monday, we have Renew America's Robert Meyer back with us. Also, Tuesday, Pastor Kevin Minsky. Bill Federer, Wednesday. Julianne Appling, Thursday. Andy Woods, Friday. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.